three plants. This is a very good start. It's a very good start. It really is. Ugh, a palm and a pothos. Those are... I don't know what mm. they are, but all, we all got to pick one out. <laughs> um, is Jake's a little dead one on the uh, floor? Uh, that was here when we moved in, so I'm keeping it as a spirit. Yes. Um, however, I tried to tear something today that was perforated and felt like a child. Oh, my gosh. Because, like, because your wrist is still broken. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> couldn't do it. But. Um, well, are we good on the sound and everything? I think so. Okay, perfect. Well... I mean, we're going to talk about this amazing podcast studio for the rest of our lives, but that's not really what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about history on the rock with Katie and Allie. And we are coming to you live from Allie's new house. Woo! Yay! It's official. We are finally here. We're here. It feels so great. And I'm so excited. I know I literally just said this isn't a podcast about this, but I'm gushing because we have our own space and it's amazing. And I just can't wait to start season seven off in our new studio. Right. With less dog barks. Less dog barks. Last episode. Less children. <laughs> um, less crazy zebras. Yeah. Less sweat. <laughs> I was about to say zebra as uh-huh. if as if like the plural of zebra was zebra. Oh, it's not. I don't think it is. Um, but there was a catastrophe this morning with this podcast when it didn't upload. <laughs> and then I went to try to fix it, but my edited file completely mm. gone. So what does this mean? I had to re-edit the entire no thing from scratch because I hadn't written down notes I did it while I was moving so anytime it needed an edit I just did it on the computer gone oh my gosh. it's my own fault but I'm thank so you sorry. um Avery underscore Bray is yes. that how you say it I think so so like please. 8 15 yeah on it. like hey it didn't pop up because when I was told at 8 15 it took me till eleven thirty to finish because I have to mm-hmm. listen to the podcast from scratch so it was really great that I got it that early in the morning because yes. it only posts at seven so like an hour and a half up and somebody was like, hey, you need to fix this. And I'm in the nicest way. Yeah. And I was like, yes, oh, my thank gosh. You so much. Also, kudos to you for listening that early in the morning. Right. Good job. Um, Sorry, it wasn't there for you. <laughs> so, so now because uh, I was like because I was on the road early this morning. So that's why I listened to it at, you know, 730 in the morning. Mm-hmm. But then I was driving and like we literally only got to like I broke my wrist. <laughs> and then it was like <laughs> next podcast I was like, what? What just happened? But it's all fixed now. It's all fixed now. It's great. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it. It was a really fun episode. So welcome to season seven. Welcome to season seven. It's all listener requests. We're feeling so excited about this. And we have some really cool ladies to tell you about. And the great thing I think about season seven is like, I feel like I never know who I'm doing because these are some pretty obscure women. Yeah. So it'll be fun because we're going to learn a lot. And we're going to learn a lot with you. Exactly. Which is great. Yes. So, I mean, you might be moving into your house right now you could be the real estate market is hot you've got your headphones in Mm -hmm. you're carrying boxes Mm -hmm. you're trying to like ignore the sweat pouring off of your body absolutely don't have time to stop and google nope so we need to describe what these women look like so you can get a picture in your head so you can just keep shucking those boxes we're gonna get a little physical physical Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? So I'm doing Olympe de Gouche. Ooh. Now, a lot of people pronounce it Olympe. But it's not. I think the French is Olympe. Olympe. Or Olympe. Uh-huh. But I don't think it's Olympe. Okay. I did a little bit of like looking up pronunciation guides and okay. a lot of podcasts pronounce it differently, but I'm going with Olympe. Okay. Um, so she has a classic French look. 
of the 17 1800s she has like pinched lips a forward gaze powdered hair although it's not super high mm-hmm. like a royalist or like nobility she's got a button or round nose in the front and there's um many famous images of french women during the french revolution and a lot of times people just like put those up as pictures of her because it's yeah. like we painted a french woman revolting like right this is what it should look like um so it's a common to associate people like lady liberty like carrying that french flag mm-hmm. with her um but by many accounts she was very good looking until she became very very outspoken and then people specifically men started describing her as less pretty uh-huh. because she had an opinion interesting so interesting that's her. how that happens isn't that fun <laughs> all right well, what are you doing what do they look like i am doing a matilde hidalgo de procel so she is a thin ecuadorian woman with kind of lighter skin um and dark hair she has a very like 1920s like slightly curled bob no bangs and her hair parted to the side Uh, it's like a very deep part um she has kind of a prominent forehead and a round face with very dark eyes Um, And in the most common photo of her, her lips look kind of pursed and she's kind of looking off into the distance. It's one of those like just like sepia toned photos, Mm. you know, from that era. So, uh, yeah, that's what she looks like. I've never seen her. Like, I don't know what she looks like. I don't know who she is. Well, I just described her for you. So I hope you got a good picture. I do. In my Um, head. It's here now. (laughs) Um, But what am I drinking? Because it looks great and I'm going to drink. Okay. So this cocktail is called Primera Mujer, which means first woman. It is an ounce and a half of rum. It is then one ounce of vanilla vodka, juice from half a lime, a few dashes of Angostura bitters, and you top the whole thing off with Coke. I was going to just do vanilla Coke, but I can't find that anymore. It's very hard to find. Yeah. You can only get it in like fountain soda form. And I really didn't want to go to mm. like a place just to get a vanilla Coke fountain soda. Yeah, no. So uh, I'm absolutely buying some this weekend, though. <gasps> yes. Just for a little taste test. That's a taste test. Well, cheers. Cheers. So good. Mm. They always put... In the commercials, the Coca-Cola commercials, there's always a lime in them. And I never actually do it. I know. I Um, know. I can't taste the alcohol, which is great because there's vodka in here. And what else? Vodka and like dark spiced rum. So and I can't taste it at all. Yeah, no. It's wonderful. Mm. Hmm. Very good. I felt this was going to be like a Long Island iced tea effect. Already, this is the best drink of season seven. (laughs) (laughs) First and best. First and best. I don't, we um, have to, this should be the bar. Um, so from now on, can you beat Prima ooh, Mujer? Prima mujer, mujer. You're much better at saying it than I. <laughs> Listen, I'm doing Duolingo, but can I even? <laughs> um, I hope so. Um, yeah, I, I, there was a lot of Spanish involved in this. So I'll give a caveat when we get into it. Yeah, I'll do the but, French caveat too. It's um, fine. We'll, we'll all be fine. Everyone will be okay. We're stupid Americans. So, what do you know about Matilde Hidalgo de Procel? Okay. I looked her up to make sure I wasn't being dumb. So I'm okay. going to be honest. Okay. I know nothing. Perfect. But I always like look up the person to make sure they're not like a super famous person. That yeah. I'm just an idiot and I didn't <laughs> learn about. So uh, really Michelle Obama know. never heard of her. I don't know <laughs> who? who you're talking about. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I know nothing. I'm so excited to learn. Um, Perfect. I did see a couple of the 
bullet points on the Wikipedia shortlist, but I really don't know anything about her. So tell me, tell me, tell me. Excellent. So before we get started, I want to give a shout out to Veronica um, Gavilanes, which I think is how you pronounce your last name. I do apologize if if I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. Um, You can always send us a pronunciation guide and we'll re-say it on air. We'll re-say it. Um, So thank you so much for this request. It was such a delight to research this person because I have never heard of her and she's... I'm going to just go out and say it like the most influential woman in Ecuadorian history. Wow. <laughs> She's incredible. So um, it was really hard to research her, though, because every single source is in Spanish. Like no one in like the U.S. like or whatever, any like predominantly English speaking country feels like it doesn't feel like they give a shit about her, which is very frustrating. It is. That's we should have called up Sophia. <laughs> Sophia Graf, please translate every article. Um, She's our UK correspondent. (laughs) But it was really frustrating because she is this insanely influential woman. And like she has a super short Wikipedia bio. So I got a lot of this from Wikipedia. Um, There was um, a lot of mention of her in a book called A Portion of Gender. I'm sorry. (laughs) I wrote, I got this from a portion of. The book is called (laughs) Gender, State, and Medicine in Highland, Ecuador by A. Kim Clark. Um, And then there's also an article that I'm going to talk a lot about at the end of this by Alexandria Valencia um, for Reuters. um, But I'll talk about that later. Okay. But, okay. Thank you, Veronica, for requesting her. And here we go. And also, do you go by Ronnie? Oh, yeah. We got it. I love a girl named Ronnie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Matilde Hidalgo was born. Also, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing her name correctly. We're doing our best. We're doing our best. Um, so, she was born on September 29th, 1889 in Loja, Ecuador. Um, her mother, Carmen Navarro, uh, was a seamstress. And her father, Juan Manuel, I think they said he was a merchant, but we really don't know much about him because unfortunately he died like shortly after uh, Matilda's death. Okay. Also, I mean, birth. Birth. (laughs) Yeah, not death. Uh, Also, bingo on the seamstress. Yes. Bingo seamstress. Like, I feel like bingo, like lost a parent at an early age. Like she's just like coming out strong. Um, So this left Carmen bingo again with six children to take care of no. big family single mom of six um but and matilda being the youngest like sorry with matilda being the youngest <laughs> i don't know why i'm having such a hard time today did you place your commas correctly i don't think i did <laughs> um, right. that can really fuck my story up if i don't put the right commas on here an oxford comma is oh my gosh great. necessary Um, Her older sisters took to sewing to help support the household while her brothers went to school. So for the first few years, this was okay because she spent her time going to a local Catholic primary school. But when she finished fifth grade, there was nowhere for her to go. Wait, girls didn't go past fifth grade? Nope. In Ecuador? No. Okay. Loja, I mean, maybe in like bigger parts of Ecuador, they could. But in Loja, like her small town, they did not have any kind of secondary schooling for girls. And she was too young to start working as a seamstress. So she's kind of stuck. What am I like? I'm envisioning Ecuador. Like I know where it is, but like I'm envisioning it as kind of rainforesty, but also it's on the coast, like right above the Andes Mountains. So I like I can't in my head get an image of 
the correct version of South America. Yeah, because it's like right down south of Colombia on the western coast coast of South America. So it's like close enough to like the same longitude as California. Yes. But below the equator. Yeah. And like, because I think it's also like you have like Peru is on the really close west coast Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a mix of a lot of things because again like like you said you have the Andes Mountains you have Amazon area you have beach town yeah so there's a lot going on in Ecuador I just had to get that in my head because I like it just says a lot about a person yeah because also I think that sometimes like I know when I thought of like when I was like okay Ecuador I was thinking Honduras. Like Central America. It's Central America, mm-hmm. but it's not Central America. It's absolutely South America. Yeah, I think um, Ecuador, You could, I, I would very quickly be like, oh, it's like where El Salvador is. Like mm-hmm. that little sliver in between Mexico and Panama where there's like a whole bunch of little countries. Yep. But nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. It's on a whole different continent. <laughs> so there's no place for her to go. And she really wants to continue into school. She's like, I'm smart. I don't want to just be a wife and a mother and a seamstress just like everyone else in my family. I want to fucking do something. She wants to be different. So she goes to her brother Antonio and she says, look, I need you to help me. I need you to go with me to the school board and help me convince them that I should be let into secondary school. Mm -hmm. So he said, okay. So she goes to them and they appeal to the leaders of the school and they're not super stoked about this. They're like, what are you doing here? You're a tiny girl. Get the fuck out. And she goes, no, because af- actually, if you look at the founding, like, you know, documents of the school, there is no actual rule barring me from an education. Everything that you say in the charter for the school says person or student and doesn't specify a gender. So there's actually no rule about me not attending school here. A, what an inclusive charter. <laughs> Be good on her. I mean, this is the whole thing. And you're, we're going to see this over and over again. She points out that like, no, I actually am allowed. It's just like a weird social stigma that I'm not allowed. She should have been a paralegal. I know. So after much convincing, the school's Dr. Angel Ruben Ojeda made an exception for Matilda, making her the first girl to study at Colegio Bernardo Valdivieso. So this is like the high school. (laughs) She's going to high school. So, yeah, which I think is just so cool that she's like, no, no, no. I read the rules. There's actually no rule that says that I can't come to school here. And they can't argue with her because she's fucking right. Yeah. Hey, listen. This is something that having you said she's born in 1889. Yes. That's actually like pretty progressive to like in high school, only 16 years, like 1916 to like have a girl join your school. Like my dad, when my dad was in poly, that's when they let the first girls in. Oh, whoa. That was in the 60s. That's wild. 70s, I mean. <laughs> my, dad, my dad definitely graduated from high school, I think, in like 78. But I mean, it, and it wasn't all male school and there wasn't all girl school attached. Like a, they were both vocational schools, but yeah. that they in his like life there. Yeah. That's so wild. He said they had to stop swimming naked in gym class. They all swim. Uh, naked. Why were you doing that in the first place? I don't that know. seems so. I don't understand this whole thing of like, yeah, I mean. Boys can be naked in front of their teachers. That's fine. And people are like, yeah, absolutely. Like, no, 
No student should be naked in front of any adult. Are there ever? Are there like, aren't there female PE teachers (laughs) ever? (laughs) What is happening? Why was that okay? Um, Anyways, weird. Um, so, (laughs) so she is thrilled. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to high school. I'm so fucking excited. But she was not quite ready for the complete social upheaval at her decision. The local girls were no longer allowed to play with her. She was not even allowed to attend mass at the local Catholic church with everyone else in time in, t- in town. Oh, because you know how God loves turning away children. I know. He <laughs> hates kids. He hates them. So the priest told her the closest you can stand is the second step of the steps up to the chapel. And that's a big problem because like South America is like heavily Catholic. Yeah. It's super Catholic. What do you do if you can't make your confessions and do communion? And, and the like... thing was, he wanted to ban the whole family. Oh, my God. Yeah, he wanted to ban her entire family. But then he was like, mm, no, just the little girl is fine. She'll, <laughs> she's fine. Uh, maybe she'll get into purgatory. We don't know. I mean, literally, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, literally. So she... <laughs> Poor little Matilda is just every Sunday at mass on the second step of the freaking church. I just can't believe it. <laughs> I keep um, picturing her like that little French uh, storybook character, <laughs> Matilda, with like her little hat. I know. <laughs> I'm just going to keep picturing her like that. I know she's in South America and that's my white American. Like, I know. View, but it's a cute I feel name. like I also feel like I keep saying Matilda, but mm. it's Matilde. Yeah, I think. I don't You've know. You've been saying it I'm right. Really I'm really trying. I'm saying Matilda in my head. You're um, saying it right. So I might go back and forth, so just bear with me. Um, so, I feel like everybody who listens knows by now who we are and what we, what we do. I hope so. Um, so she's basically ostracized. She also had to withstand some pretty brutal treatment from her male classmates. Because can you imagine being the only and first girl in an entirely boys' school? No. Like, no. No, not at all. Um, and she's just totally alone in her school and her community and her church. Like there's, she has her family and that's it. But thankfully she had a really badass mom. She was so proud of her daughter for doing all this. And she would not only graduate in 1913 with honors, but she became the first girl to graduate high school in Ecuador. (gasps) That's my favorite. And also because we never hear about... Ma- the mom no we don't we always hear she was her dad's favorite yeah and this is a mom being like no you go get that fucking diploma do everything that i couldn't do work it like out. yes i am here to support you because at yeah. the end of the day all she had was her family because everyone fucking hated her can you imagine just like you want to go to school like fuck you yeah, like <laughs> Malala. God hates you. Malala, yeah, <laughs> Also, same situation. God hates you because you want to go to school. Um, Horrible. Yeah, cool mom. Love it. Super Jane cool Goodall mom. also had a good mom. That yes. was another episode we did with the cool mom. Yes. Um, so she graduates high school and she's like, you know what? I'm not just going to graduate high school. I'm going to be a fucking doctor. So after she graduates, she starts applying immediately to medical schools in Ecuador. <laughs> but of course, she was met with a lot of rejections and a lot of suggestions that she forget about medical school and just kind of go into like midwifery. They're like, no, like, don't be like a doctor. Just, you know, be like a midwife who like helps women around the neighborhood, right. which is a totally awesome thing to do. Mm-hmm. 
I think midwives are amazing. Midwives, doulas, the whole gamut. But she's like, no, that's not my goal. I would like to work in like the OBGYN field. Right. But like, I want to be a fucking doctor. I want to go to school. So it's the same way that like earlier when you were talking about like, oh, you know, she didn't just want to be a wife and mother. That's not like anti-wife and mother. It's like, that's just she should have a gamut of choices and that's not the only one exactly and then one rejected her and in the letter said you really should be focusing on being a wife and mother they said that in the letter and she's like what the fuck (laughs) horrible it's so sad it's so sad so she ends up finally getting accepted into the undergraduate medical program at the university of azue in swenka uh swenka quenza I think Quinza. Good luck. Um, thank you. So the school was um, close to her brother and sister-in-law's house. So she was able to kind of live there while she went to school. And after a few years, she was awarded a certificate of medical studies, which allowed her to finally apply and be accepted into the Central University Medical School. So because she's an overachiever, she did, in fact, take midwifery classes alongside her medical school classes, earning degrees in both subjects. I feel like that's a COA, like a cover your ass. Like, if they don't let me get this, at least I can blah, blah, blah. Well, I love it, too, because so right now the issue is that she's still not allowed to treat male patients. Mm. So she got both, I think, in order to be like, if I'm ever allowed to treat male patients, I want to. So I will get my, you know, OBGYN credentials so that I can work and also my penis degree. (laughs) Um, So that way, again, just like you said, COA, governor asses, like I'm going to do both because I can do everything because I'm like the smartest woman in Ecuador. I'm forgetting to take notes because I'm enthralled. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I got to start. I got to start. I've done that before. Sorry. (laughs) Um, So. After this, she did her medical internship in the maternity ward. Um, and again, it's like, you can be a doctor, but only a lady doctor. <laughs> but she did enjoy it. Um, so in 1921, she graduates from medical school as an official doctor of medicine, becoming the first woman in Ecuador to hold that title. So she's the first woman to graduate from high school mm-hmm. and the first woman to graduate from college as well. Uh, or just get a doctorate. Just get a doctorate Okay, in so there Ecuador. were other women who had made it to college, possibly? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was another first in here somewhere, too. Um, <laughs> She's a big first. She's wild. Um, so, anyways, so she is the first, like, female doctor in Ecuador. Okay. She then moved to the town of Guayaquil, where she got a job at the local hospital while simultaneously working at a local orphanage treating children. Because she's amazing. Right. I <laughs> just like she is like the like perfect person because she's like, well, in my free time from being a doctor, I also help the orphans. It's like everybody, you know, who like donates to UNICEF. Yeah. Like, really? Really? <laughs> I mean, I did give them a lot of quarters when I was a child. I did so. round up to the nearest um. dollar on my <laughs> giant bill. <laughs> so you're welcome, orphans. Um, so in 1923, she did get married to a man named Fernando Procel, which is where we get her full name. Uh, that's where the de Procel comes from. Um, which I'm, I want to know, like, is that just how 
of women yeah is that like because i think it's cool that we know both of her names but i wasn't sure if it was um just because of handmaid's tale i know it it sounds but yes i think that is how last names were like you're of this family of this family yes um so he was a lawyer so they probably did pretty well for themselves um so the newlyweds went south to the city of mahala i don't know why i said that like that (laughs) machala machala i think it's machala okay god damn it it's all right ronnie will tell um, us ronnie will tell us and she established her own medical practice there so she goes and just opens up her own fucking doctor's office so she's like patsy mink ecuador i know City. uh even more so when we get to the end of her story um but again because she cannot only do one thing she also picked up a side gig teaching natural history at the local secondary school oh man so around this time she had two children uh fernando and gonzalo Procel. uh fernando became a doctor just like his mom and gonzalo became an architect i love that he took after his mom i think that's so fucking cool I want to do what my mom does. You know, it's like that. What is that? Is that riddle? Sexist okay. riddle. So a dad <laughs> gets in a car accident with his son and then you can't operate on him. Why? My kids got that wrong. Did I say this on the podcast before? Yeah, we've talked about it extensively because I hate that riddle because I also got it wrong as a child. So I've been sexist my whole life. I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. <laughs> my kids got it wrong. <laughs> not, they go, not that kind of doctor. Oh, my gosh. True. Um, it's true. Not that kind of doctor. So it's 1924, and there's an election coming up. So people were going around registering voters. Is Ecuador a democracy? At this time, yes. Cool. Um, And then Matilda said, you know what? I want to fucking vote this year. So she and her husband meticulously reviewed the 1906 Constitution in Ecuador (laughs) and found that there again was no law specifically forbidding women from voting. And he's a lawyer. And he's a lawyer. So he's very litigious. So they find that the only requirements are that you be an Ecuadorian citizen, 21 years old, and that you know how to read and write. Those are the only requirements. Everything says citizen, not man. Also, literacy laws are bogus and meant to exclude poor people. Absolutely. Okay, go ahead. So she went to register for vote. And of course, people were like, uh, what the fuck are you doing? You can't vote. You're a woman. And she's like, read the Constitution, bub. It's my goddamn right. She, <laughs> she like, had like a pocket constitution. <laughs> She's like, I brings the constitution and like hits him in the face with it. There's post-its. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have 10,000 post-its with the constitution written on it. Like, nope. So there's a bit of a scuffle. And then she goes directly to the minister of the interior and she's like, it's my fucking right. And he looks it over and he goes, well, fuck, you're right. It just says citizen. It doesn't specify gender. So I guess you can vote. So on June 9th, 1924, Matilde Hidalgo de Procel voted in Loja, Ecuador, becoming the first woman in Latin America to exercise her constitutional right to vote in a national election. I love it. Again, the firsts. They're unbelievable, which is why I named this cocktail the first woman, because it's ridiculous how many firsts she was. It's why so many constitutions are very clear about saying men yes they are (laughs) yes they and they go oh no we're just using it to mean humankind and it's like no you're not you're trying to avoid veronica Uh uh-huh coming on in (laughs) the person who requested this episode (laughs) yes they want to avoid veronica Veronica, they're trying to trample your rights 
<laughs> Ronnie, don't Ronnie, don't let them. She's um, gonna be like, so, I I hate going by Ronnie. She's so <laughs> mad at us right now. I'm so sorry. We gave you a nickname that you hate. Um, so <laughs> it's all right. She'll be all right with it. I mean, it's this fine. is what happens when you request an episode. We nickname you and we talk about you constantly. Soundbite it um, and play it for your family at Thanksgiving. <laughs> I was mentioned on a national, an international <laughs> podcast. Literally. Um, so she votes. <laughs> so she's the first woman in all of Latin America, actually, to vote. Really? In all of Latin America. So Mexico South. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So women could technically vote, um, but then five years later, they just put it in the Constitution, just like made shit like concrete. Addendum. So that no, yeah, mm-hmm. an addendum. So they did um, adopt women's suffrage into their Constitution, which is pretty fucking cool. Mm. One year after she voted, the entire government of Ecuador was overthrown in the July Revolution. And the physician Isidro Ayora was elected president. So while Ecuador is kind of getting shit together and reforming their government, uh, Matilda says, you know what? I want to get involved so that next time there's an election, I can help more women vote and learn their rights. So she runs for office and becomes the first city councilwoman of the city of Mashallah. Machala. Say it the way you want, girl. Machala. I don't know. <laughs> it's a C H. Um, which I feel like is normally like a sh like or maybe it's a ch like chino. Yeah, I think you're like right. Chino pants. Yeah. Okay. Machala. That's right. My if God. it's wrong, somebody will tell us. Somebody will tell us. I'm so sorry. Um, so after this, she was appointed to the position of um provincial director of public assistance, where she oversaw like all the government health facilities. Then in 1931, Matilde saw around 14,000 Ecuadorian women exercise their right to vote. She's like the Susan B. Anthony of Ecuador. She's amazing. So in 1936, she was voted vice president of the entire city council. And then in 1941, she became the first woman in Ecuador voted into Congress. I can't believe She can't that. be stopped. She can't be stopped. She's like every progressive woman in America combined into one. She's amazing. <laughs> because uh, other, I just breathed heavy in the mic. <laughs> other, I feel like there are other countries that just like let shit happen. They're yeah. Like, oh, it's happening. Let's yeah. just ha- let it happen. Just let it go. And we are just very hardcore on like, that's not the way we've always done it. Yeah, exactly. It's like women can't vote because they've never voted before. Like huh. what? You can't you can't just you can just say that women are going to vote and then let them vote. It's not fair. <laughs> women can't be president because like they're unelectable. Make America male again. <laughs> um. Continue to make America yeah. male. <laughs> um, we so... love you, our male listeners. This is not your fault. You're one of us. I'm sorry to put your tears into the last cocktail, but <laughs> you deserve it. it um, all the while. She said her husband wouldn't. I know. Krista, sorry. Krista, Krista said her Krista. husband wouldn't cry for it. Which, get on board. I'll give him something to cry about. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I'm sure your husband is so lovely, Miss Krista. Um, so all the while, while she is city council, congresswoman, she's also a practicing doctor. And when she's 57, she said, you know what? I want to go back to school and expand my medical education. So in 1949, she receives a scholarship to study pediatrics, neurology, and um, dietetics. 
Sounds right. Dietetics <laughs> in Argentina. Uh, I copy and paste it so much. And this whole time, she is also writing amazing poetry. So that's another thing. She's, She's a, a poet? poet. She's a poet. Did she know it? <laughs> Yes, she did. So she's writing all this poetry about nature, love, and of course, women's rights. And I was really bummed that I couldn't find any of her poetry because I wanted to read some of it. But it's all in a, a book. It's a 2005 biography written by Jenny Estrada. But unfortunately, the book was not available online or in English that I could find. <laughs> so I cannot share any of her poetry with you, which is a travesty. Does poetry translate well? Probably not. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So she's a poet. She is a politician. She's a doctor. She's the love of my life. <laughs> and in 1974, <laughs> after a long and amazing life, Matilde Hidalgo de Procel passed away from a stroke at the age of 85. Wow. I wish I could fill in her life more, but I literally don't know. I mean, 1974, she's like a contemporary. Yeah. I know. She lived to the 70s, the 1800s to the 70s. It's so crazy. That's incredible. There is currently an entire museum dedicated to this woman in Loja, Ecuador. If you're ever find, like if you're ever in the area, uh, Matilde accomplished so much in her lifetime. But of course, it has not stopped there. She has she just remains this like beacon to women in Ecuador, like of excellence and feminism. Um, but one of the most important legacies um, that has been founded in her name recently is the Fundacio Casa de Refugio uh, Matilde, or the um, the Casa Matilde uh, Women's Shelter Foundation. So that's like I think like the closest like translation I can do. Um, so this organization is was founded in 1990 um, by Rosario Gomez to serve Ecuador's survivors of domestic abuse. That's incredible. I know. Like in her memory, that's like the perfect in thing her to memory. Do. Yeah, it's so great. Um, and just this year, they had their thirtieth anniversary, and they had to do it on Zoom because of quarantine. Um, There's been a lot of Zoom lately. Yes. <laughs> so, um, but listen, why why wasn't Skype ready? Skype, you really fucked up. You blew it. You blew it. You had a 15-year head start. You turtle and the hair did for and sure. They really did. They really did. So um, one of the people on the Zoom call had a really great um, quote about the um, the foundation that I want to read. Uh, the Matilde um, Refuge House has become, in these 30 years, a safe space where women who experience violence can be welcomed with their daughters and sons, both in the shelter service and also in external consultation, a space where they can strengthen themselves, know and appropriate their rights to freedom from violence and thus go from being victims to being survivors, which I think is such a great summation of like what they're trying to do in Ecuador right now. Um, they are the only women's shelter in the town of Quito which is the capital of Ecuador. And they help women and children every day find refuge from their abusers and seek the justice that they deserve. 65 out of 100 Ecuadorian women have suffered from some type of domestic abuse, and one in four have been psychologically abused in the last 12 months. What? I mean, what a legacy. I know. And something I have not given enough thought to is um so right now during the COVID-19 pandemic things have gotten 
a lot worse for women in Ecuador and it has become more difficult for them to seek help because so right now a lot of people are losing their jobs so domestic abuse has been on the rise because the these men are home and they're drinking more and they are abusing their wives and their families more because they're angry about a lot of stuff and they're drinking and you can't even as a woman make an excuse to go out yeah you know what i mean there's no like i'm going to the grocery store it's like you have to you have to stay here what are you what are you talking about yeah yeah and again like alcohol isn't always involved men can be abusive without alcohol oh yeah but it's like this trend that they're seeing that like they're home they're drinking and like alcohol sales and domestic abuse are like both on the rise right now Mm. um and this is the article that i read um all about this it's um from reuters it's uh amid quarantine ecuador women speak in code to seek protection from domestic violence by alexandra Um, Alexandra Valencia. So what's been going on is since quarantine started, they have developed a system of coded messages to get help because calling while their husband is at home is not an option anymore. Like, like calling while their husband's at work was like their only option for a while because it's really difficult to seek help when your husband is in the same room as you. Because a lot of times they're monitoring your calls. They're monitoring your text messages. They are wondering where you're going. They're very controlling. So they're chain-ganging this situation. Yeah. So in the Amazon province of uh, Socombios, women send a specific emoji to the local chapter of Care International to alert domestic abuse. The emoji is also frequently changed for security reasons. So... If someone catches you doing it, then like there are a couple options for you to choose from. So it doesn't look quite as suspicious. Wow. Yeah. And the word has spread to other women and they can also send the emoji to friends and relatives who can call Care International on their behalf. Hmm. So again, it's like this underground network of women being like, okay, if you get sent, you know, like the train emoji this is what it means it means that someone is in a terrible situation and they need help it's like when somebody comes up to you at a bar and pretends they know you or like you know i heard this thing a while ago that's like if you're at a bar and you are in an uncomfortable situation like you order an angel shot and then the bartender like immediately knows mm-hmm. like okay we got to get her some help da, 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 da. so yeah, the, hi i haven't seen you in so long yeah like i've never met this person time to play along mm-hmm Um, But the only problem with the emoji plan is that for some women, cell phones and texting is not an option. Right. Um, So in the rural province of um, Cotopaxi, um, Diosalinda Iza of the Organization of Indigenous and Peasant Women Planting, Hope, says women ask their neighbors for salt when they want to warn of domestic abuse. So that's the system they've created there. Like asking for salt is a very normal thing. But... That's why it doesn't like tip off your abuser what's going on. Mm. So they've, again, just like adapting the system to where, to what it needs to be in different places. Um, And in the province of uh, Pichincha, women have been calling the domestic abuse hotline and asking them to deliver a red basket. And then they'll go, okay, like, where would you like it delivered to? And then they can give them their home address and phone number and they have them on record then and they immediately call emergency services and send like p- 
police over to their house and like to like help them and rescue them. This breaks my heart. I like I have chills right now. I know. Uh, like the strength of these women to yeah. like deal with this. It's insane. And also just that's how you also know like what a big problem it is because these women need help so bad that they are developing their own underground system to like be like, hey, like if you're in a situation, just like ask me for salt and I'll know exactly what that means. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's how prominent of a problem it is. That's like when you hear your neighbors yelling. Yeah. Or you see somebody come in with sunglasses on inside. You're like, yeah, "Mm, somebody beating you. Yeah, it sucks. And I hate that women have to do this. I hate uh, and people too. like it's not just women who get, you know, or victims of domestic abuse. But, you know, it's it's wild. So even with all these tactics, though, some women are still trapped with their abusers, unable to access help. We know that domestic abuse is on the rise, but the calls reporting it have dropped 30% since quarantine because, again, they are now living with their abusers full time. Well, you're stuck with them. Yeah. Um, but as of the beginning of August of this year, over 1,500 women have successfully gotten the help they need during quarantine and are safe from their abusers. And what this tells me is that people are trying to help and they're developing creative solutions to a terrible problem. And I think I can say that this is possible because of the strides that Matilda and other amazing women of Ecuador have taken. In 2004, Cesar um, Carmignani, movie and TV director, directed the movie Matilda, La Dama del Siglo. Um, almost 10 years after that, he directed a new movie of Matilda called La Dama Invincible. But she has movies? Yeah. Are they in Spanish? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. They have subtitles. I don't know. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and so this movie shows her life between 1907 and 1924 um, when she lived in um, Machala. And on November 21st, 2019, Google celebrated her with a Google Doodle in honor of what would have been her 130th birthday that September. So it was like directly after her um, birthday, you know, like two months after. Right. But, but yeah, so... That is Matilda Hidalgo de Procel and a little bit about what's going on in Ecuador with women in quarantine. I find her story incredible. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that she's like pretty much a contemporary of talking 1970s and just did all of the first things. I am um, recently we posted on Twitter about like the first woman in Haiti to be the president and in the justice system and this and that and this and that. And it was like, she was so many firsts because it progressed so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just women like that are incredible because they're taking a massive risk. Yeah, no, they absolutely are. And I just love that every step of the way she was like, yeah, I know that I was like the first woman to do this, but like, and I, and the thing about her, too, is I don't think that she was doing it to be the first. I think she was just like, to. no, I want to do this. I want to vote. I want to be in government. Like, I want to help people. Like, I want to be a doctor. So, like, I'm just going to fucking do it. Like, that's incredible. So, yeah. Good for her. I know. Really good for her. Thank you, Veronica, for the um, recommendation. And sorry, we kept calling you Ronnie. Um, unless that's what you go <laughs> unless by. that's what you go by in which case you're welcome you're welcome um so yeah so i'm ready to finish this drink because i was talking down it down I'm it gonna chug it and then we'll be right back with another story <laughs> i 
this is a horrible sound coming through and it's just because i knocked the mic a bunch <laughs> um all right we're back with part second half. two season seven part two, episode one season seven it's gonna be great we have a new cocktail and a very cute glass where did you get these glasses um i've had them packed up since we moved out of the apartment what Allie, <laughs> they're so cute you've been hiding them from me well i had them in like a christmas box with all the coca-cola stuff oh. and when i decided to stop displaying the coca-cola stuff i was like whatever and then <laughs> i found them in the move I have six of them. They're very cute. And I'm very excited that they're here for us to take pictures of We now. can use them a lot now. Yes. Anytime we need. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. We're back. Are you ready to two. go? I'm ready to go. I want to know about this person. Okay. Drink first, person first. <laughs> uh, let's do drink first. We okay. can start drinking. This is called a <laughs> French 89. Ooh. And it is an ounce of brandy. An ounce of raspberry liqueur to make it a little bloody. Yeah. And um, fill the glass with chilled champagne after you shake those together and add some fresh mint. I love it. Well, cheers. Mm. Isn't that delicious? It's delightful. Now, the 89 is the year of the revolution. Perfect. So that's where that number came from. <laughs> I love it. Um, I, it tastes very desserty. Like, I feel like I should be eating ice cream with this. It tastes a little bit like there's chocolate liqueur. Yes, in there, it does. But there isn't. Hmm. I mean, it's just brandy, raspberry, champagne, and mint. Mm. I love it. Whew. All right. What do you know about Olympe de Gouges? Nothing. I mean, I'm going to guess that she was some kind of part of the French Revolution. Right. I don't know if she, I would, I don't know, because I guess like if there's a revolution, like I was going to say she was like maybe like a suffragette kind of like a very early suffragette, but I don't know if that was a thing. Um, I really don't know. So I'm really excited to learn about her. <laughs> I'm excited to tell you. And this pairs so well with last week's episode Ooh. and is going to point out so many reasons that like some of the things we said were really important yeah um because i love backing ourselves up me <laughs> too also this is from diana barthel thank you diana i think that's how you say it do you go by die now we just have to call her die the whole time absolutely i had an aunt die i still kind of have an aunt die mm -hmm. you have a lady um, die now we have yeah we have a lady die that's what we call um, my dad's, dad's friend, <laughs> <laughs> your dad's college friend's wife. <laughs> yes. Very complicated. Um, it is. Um, but yeah, again, if we pronounce it wrong, send us a pronunciation guide yes. and we will do it better. Um, but I'm just gonna say all the Diana's in my life have been pretty cool. They've so. been great. Been great. Um, um, so we're on a good track here. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Diana. Diana of Wales is awesome as well. Absolutely. She's a candle in the wind. <laughs> but just one <laughs> not 5,000 so I'm excited to tell this story because this is a person I did not know a lot about and I absolutely should mm. so I listened to the Dirty Bits of History podcast I listened to the Criminal Records podcast obviously I went to Wikipedia and I read a lot of transcripts of her trials online out of French into English um just like Katie, if I butcher my French, I'm so very sorry. <laughs> I am a stupid American. <laughs> I, and the thing is, too, I'm trying. I, 
I took so many years of Spanish. I took it so for so long. And I was like partly like a Spanish major, but I just couldn't grasp it. I mean, at, I mean, I would go for tutoring at my final final in Spanish. I was crying in at my final because I in took the class. Yeah, because I took the entire three hours and everyone else was done in 45 minutes. And the teacher just came over and she goes, Katie, it's fine. And I was like, it's not fine. And I was so <laughs> mad because I studied so hard and I just couldn't Aww, do it. That's so sad. It's very sad. Everyone feel bad for me. Um, it's time to feel bad for you. <laughs> now let's feel bad for this woman together. Excellent. Okay. So if you are really into revolutions, I'm not going through the French Revolution right now. Perfect. Because you should go to the Revolutions podcast, which I love, and they're great, and they break things down. But I'll do like a very short bullet point. Um, Also, if you want to know more about the French Revolution, we have done an episode on Madame Tussaud, which was episode Mm. 17, and we did an episode on Marie Antoinette, which was episode 82. So there's a lot of background info here. If you're obsessed with the French Revolution, go and listen to those as well. The Marie Antoinette episode, though, is Zoom quarantine. It was a Zoom quarantine But it's still a great episode, I think. Great episode. Okay. Um, And we also kind of mentioned the French Revolution in last Last week's episode. Cobblestone, Blood in the Streets, Mary Wollstonecraft. Mm-hmm. So get ready for it. So France has a lot of revolutions. So this is the one from 1789. Okay. It's old monarchy. They have their roots in a God-chosen king. It's a feudal system. Every area has different taxes. Nothing is making sense. Like if you remember in our Joan of Arc episode, like their region made a deal with Joan of Arc to never be taxed again. And her region was never taxed again until (gasps) the French Revolution. So there was a lot of things like that going on in France, which just really weren't fair. Okay. So um, Louis XVI's father and grandfather had totally bankrupted the kingdom trying to take over Europe. So he's got like no money. And then with his no money, he goes and tries to help with the American Revolution. <laughs> so they're totally broke. That, <laughs> I would be. I mm, Yes, I understand why they're mad. Yeah. And it's a he did it because it's a big middle finger to Britain. Yeah. France it, and Britain hated each there's other. There's nothing like spending an entire country's money on spite. Yeah. That's and, nice. And remember, like, That's they nice. did still own the Louisiana Purchase at that time. <gasps> That's so right. So it's also like, maybe if we get in good with the American colonists, we can own all of this on the, like, west of the Mississippi. Or we can at least sell it for a lot of money, which they did. So, like, they, you know, there's a lot involved in that. So okay. in 1887, Louis decides to make this money back. I'm going to raise taxes. But he needs the approval of the nobility. Um, and then they say, hey, wait, let's have the three estates weigh in on this, which we go more in depth in the Marie Antoinette episode. So he has the priests and the nobles and the normies all weigh in on a vote. And the normies, who are the commoners, are like, whoa, 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 hey, wait, is this what it's like? Like, do we have a say in the French people? And that is what brings about the revolution. Really? Yeah. Them just realizing that they should have been brought in on shit for the whole time. Right. And them trying to raise taxes on like fucking bread. Well, yeah, that too. Yeah. Um. But it's like that was the thing. So the nobles were brought in and then the nobles were like, let's do the three estates. And then the three, because the king was that broke that he needed their approval. 
to do that shit. Shit. So okay. France had nothing. So Olymph was not born with that name. She was born Marie Gouzet, which I have done three women from the French Revolution, and they were all named Marie. <laughs> Marie Toussaint, Marie Antoinette. Marie Gousset. <laughs> Marie Mary Wollstonecraft. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. There's a lot they of They fucking love that name. Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. 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 So she lives in a middle class family in southwest France. She's born May 7th, 1748. They called middle class, though, her brand of middle class petite bourgeoisie. Um, which is referring to a social class that is sometimes derogatory. You're like lower middle class, like not enough to be noble. It sounds like you're like, you're a little fancy. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. But you but like, like still use the tacky blow up Christmas things in your front yard. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you look cute, but you got it to Target. And it's like, yeah, I did because Target's great. Um, so fuck you. Yeah, it's but. not Burberry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse oh, me. Oh, I'm sorry. Did that come from Nordstrom Rack? <laughs> what season wow. is it? Wow. 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 <laughs> so <laughs> I'm wearing a shirt right now from Nordstrom Rack. <laughs> uh, I have no idea where my clothes are from. <laughs> I haven't unpacked. So also big thing. French is not her native language um, because she's kind of so far out in the country. She speaks Ossetan. What is that? I've Just never even heard a, of that. A French country language. Okay. Um, ask the reading bubble. <laughs> She'll know. <laughs> Please let us know because I would love to know what Ossetan is. Ossetan is. Give us a background. Yes. Um, so Marie kind of suggests that she's not the daughter of her mother's husband. Um, she finds out or thinks at a very young age that her mother had had an affair and she's the illegitimate daughter of Jean-Jacques Lafranc, who eventually bailed on them and didn't support them, even though he was a poet. But there isn't really proof of this, even though she says she had a relationship with her biological father until she was like nine and he went off to marry a Parisian widow. But this all might be made up in her head. I was going to say, <laughs> it sounds like she's like, I don't like my dad. I have a different dad. Like, it's kind of like when people are like, you know, my dad might be Elvis because he was touring here in nine months before I was born. <laughs> like, okay. And what's funny is both Marie Antoinette, not Marie Antoinette, um, Madame Tussaud and Mary Wollstonecraft wrote fictional like biographies yes. of themselves so you wonder how much of it is true that must have been like an early french thing yeah to be like to just a fictional non-fictional memoir yeah is <laughs> what they are it's very very weird <sighs> um so she was also given kind of a mediocre education but this is the french countryside it's not up to snuff with Paris, right? Like, so she's being taught, but she's not being taught, taught. Okay. Um, so later in life, she said, fate left me in total darkness in the most enlightened century. I knew few things. Only a few ideas have not become confused in my memory. Mm. So she definitely has a lack of formal education. Yeah. They had middle people money. So they decide in order to fix this, her mom's husband, possibly her biological father is a butcher he marries her off ASAP. She's Whoa. 16. 
you're getting married. That's the only thing we can do with you. Uh, she hates her husband, hates him. His name is Louis Aubrey. He's a cook. She can't legally get a divorce. She had no choice in this marriage. They have a son within a year and then he dies. Not the son, the husband. Whoa, hold on. Okay, so the husband dies. Did she murder him? No. Okay. He died. He got sick. So she was freed very quickly from this loveless marriage. Okay. And she is very anti-marriage and the whole institution for the remainder of her life wild she hated him i feel like sometimes that does happen where like you don't realize how bad a situation is until you actually fucking experience it and you're like whoa 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 this is why divorce should be legal yeah 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 and i, I mean we so. talk often about how marriage at this time in history was slavery you're being yeah. paid for with a dowry and you are legally not allowed to divorce or contradict your husband in any way yeah or just um, have any life of your own besides right. being a wife yeah it's very very scary so she yeah. said in her semi-autobiographical <laughs> novel i was married to a man i did not love and who was neither rich nor well-born i was sacrificed for no reason that could make up for the repugnance i felt for this man wow not to mention she had a kid with him so that could be also considered rape right like yeah that's a big issue yeah so after this she's like well also because she was what you said 15 when she married yeah 15 16 yeah that era so no, not okay not okay and had a baby within the first year yeah no so she hates this man yeah however after he dies she does meet Jacques Beatre de Rosière. Mm. De Rosière. De Rosière. De Rosière. De Rosière. Much better. <laughs> so <laughs> he is a bachelor businessman. They have like a huge love affair. Ooh. He proposes to her and she goes, ah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in for that. No, um, thank you. But he takes it really well. She says, look, marriage is the tomb of trust and love. You have to bury trust and bury love if you get married because it's not real. I mean, look what happened to Angelina and Brad. Exactly. Exactly. They got married. Everything went down the tubes. Poor Jen. <laughs> so, Justice Jen. for Jen. <laughs> oh, my. So um Jacques's fine with it he sticks around he helps her move to Paris they're living in Paris by 1773 and it is still like the center of cosmopolitan life like I know the royals live in Versailles but Paris is like this is where you come to go to the salons and the mm -hmm. theater and drink and talk about big ideas and the big idea they're talking about is the enlightenment uh -huh. which is technically the philosophical movement in the early modern period but what it really was is the idea that politics religion and economics all operate on this ticking fashion and if we figure out how they tick then we can use them all to make knowledge of the world as a better place pretty yeah. much they thought they were really fucking woke yeah <laughs> um <laughs> the enlightenment i have been woke oh if they had twitter oh. <laughs> um <laughs> But they um, <laughs> they can be very dangerous if you're enlightened and you say the world only ticks one way. And if you figure out the way it ticks, then you figure out the world. It's like, well, what about the other ways? What about the talk? 
Right, exactly. You're not, if, you haven't Ooh, taken into account the I kind of like that. <laughs> if you only think this is the way the world ticks, then you're not considering how the world talks. Exactly. <laughs> and the problem is a lot of dictatorships do that. Yeah, they this absolutely is the way our, our country do. works. Yeah. However, you don't consider the fact that there are people who are going to think and act differently from you. Yeah, absolutely. Or who just need things different from you. Like, yeah, it's so it's very contradictory, the Enlightenment, because it was a huge, massive step forward, but it also excluded a lot of people. Well, I mean, we talked about that last week. Yeah. It's like Mary Wollstonecraft was like, um, yeah, you didn't include women. And then. Like, slaves are like, yeah, we're not included either. Like, what the fuck? What about us? (laughs) (laughs) Who can relate? Only you. Only you. Only you, white man. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Only you, white, rich man that can read. This is even smaller. It's even a smaller group. It's very wild. Uh, I'm still so embarrassed that while we were on family vacation, um, Allie's beach house kind of backs up to, to like a tiny, tiny canal. And I shouted across the canal, who can relate? It's perfect. And you didn't hear me, but every other beach house did. <laughs> it's fine. I'm so sad I didn't hear. I have to send you some it videos so funny. that Joanne sent me of me being wild. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So mostly middle class people are part of the Enlightenment because obviously they want to get rid of the nobles, right? This is almost like the proletariat taking over the bourgeoisie. And like, I know that's like a German idea, but same thing. So... We do know a couple famous nobles who were really into the Enlightenment, specifically Marquis Lafayette, who obviously came over and fought for the Americans and like was a wealthy man um, and were doing his wife later this season. It was requested by Kara. So that's a whole separate situation. But the really, really, really left people were the middle and lower class, not the nobles. The nobles were kind of like center left. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They were like, I can totally feel this. So They're like the DNC. Exactly. When <laughs> I say left here, I'm talking like extreme left, Bernie Sanders left. Yes. And when I say center left, I'm talking... DNC. DNC. Mm-hmm. And then the right are royalists. Yeah. So that is what I've decided for this whole episode. Excellent. So... Olympe de Gouges changes her name to that when she's in Paris. Could be because it was fancier than Marie, or it could be that she's distancing herself from the queen, who's a monarch. Also, every other Marie in France, because mm-hmm. there's 10,000 of them. I mean, what is the problem? <laughs> I mean, if you're not Marie, Marie, who are you? Right. <laughs> you're a limp. Who a limp. are you? <laughs> who are you? Uh, I'm Gil Grisham. Welcome to (laughs) Welcome to CSI Miami. (laughs) No, Gil Grisham is not Miami. He's Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Damn it. Oh, that's Horatio Kane. We should do Sericidal. We should do an episode on Sericidal. Oh my gosh. Ah. The bugs. (laughs) How does she live with the bugs? Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) she and her lover start a theater company. She's good looking. She's witty. She's living in Paris. She's got this cool name. And she starts to make political satire pieces. Like, I'm going to make some plays. Okay, Charlize Chaplin. (laughs) (laughs) You're cute. So remember, she spoke Ossetan. So it's really cool because I personally think that satire and sarcasm is the hardest thing to learn in a new 
language. Absolutely. It's like after I've learned the language, then I have to learn the nuance. And mm-hmm. that's what she had on stage. Can you imagine punning in another language? Cannot. Impossible. Really impossible. So she makes many powerful friends in the revolution doing this and gets many political allies and um, becomes very politically enlightened, but specifically in two areas. She's very against um, the idea that women don't have rights and she's very against slavery. Those are her big two things. Um, which I mean, or everybody's big two things. Yeah, yeah, they should be. <laughs> yeah, those are the things you should get mad about. Yeah, get angry. <laughs> she began signing all of her work as citizen, but she made the noun feminine by adding an ne to the end, which is how you make oh French word yeah. feminine. So she's like citizen, 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 <laughs> and uh, <laughs> implying the outrageous claim that everybody's equal. Oh. How dare she? What an idiot. <laughs> Go home. Go to the guillotine. Immediately. Well, that's where this ends. Excellent. <laughs> uh, good call. Saw it coming from a mile away. You, Lit- mentioned, you mentioned women's rights. I think of the guillotine. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Every damn time. <laughs> Doesn't matter who it is. <laughs> Hillary Clinton. Send her. Benedict Cumberbatch. Hit off with his head. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbitch. <laughs> I don't know anything about him. I don't know why. <laughs> Is he a feminist? I hope so. I don't know, but that's the name of his fan crew. <laughs> the think, Benedict Cumberbitch. That's what they call themselves. I'm a better, it's like the little monsters for Lady Gaga. That's very nice. I like that. <laughs> I like it too because he's attractive. So <laughs> I guess. <laughs> man that's tall white and has brown hair <laughs> that's because that's what all your brothers look like yeah i think he's semi-attractive oh i think he's cute mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. email us at rocks at gmail.com with your thoughts on benedict cumberbatch's attraction scale of one to 35 how attractive <laughs> It's a broad range. <laughs> I want to know if you think 35 33.2? Uh, I'm going 17. Wild. A hard 17. <laughs> I'm going a soft 32. So. <laughs> okay. Second story. I'm so sorry. I'm so, also, Diana. Also, look, I don't know about you, but I haven't eaten today. So. Me neither. Holla. <laughs> I don't have food in my house <laughs> to feed my children. Oh, my gosh. Dogs up. So. My oh, my God. Okay. Signing her work citizens. Also, <laughs> she starts writing all these pamphlets. Not only is she writing pamphlets, she's making plays. And a super famous play she makes. I'm not saying any of them in French because I'm a bitch. So she makes a really unique play called The Slavery of the Blacks. And the protagonist was a black man, which usually at this time in history, you have like Harriet Beecher Stowe. I'm a white person saving black people. You know what I mean? Like very Uncle Tom's Cabin, which is like very admirable, but it's not what this was. Right. Or it's like a farce and it's like, I'm a black person, but I'm actually white. And I just painted my face in this very offensive way. (laughs) Like there are a lot of bad directions this could go. And the play is incredible because it's playing across France and you know, the play is not only about how bad slavery is for black people, but it's also about how it damages the morals of white people that they won't understand right and wrong anymore. I feel like my 
Angelou, Angelou did something like did that. something like yes. this. I wonder like if it had roots in this play. It, it very well could have because all of the costumes were very French in that play. So and I wonder. It's an incredible play in the sense that like that community starts can condemning her they want to sue her they're trying to get it off stage and she fights as long as she can um and sues them back and like all this stuff but eventually like it gets kicked off because a lot of the high up french people are making money off of slavery so they're pissed that this woman is bringing up that it's not only bad for black people but also bad for white people yeah um and i do also want to say here brief little history france is in the slave trade not as much as britain but their biggest trade was to saint domingo or saint i I can never say it but it's the west half of the isle of hispaniola which is present day haiti okay um and haiti is a sugar colony infamous for its brutality to slaves it's like that's the worst place to be traded as a slave during the triangle trade sugar sucks because the big machines can crush your body the boiling sugar can burn you and they're providing all of europe with processed sugar yeah for like for their tea right for like the first time ever we've developed processed sugar and now it's like every slave so there's a half a million slaves in present-day haiti forty thousand colonists and the life expectancy of a slave in haiti is less than half a decade oh wait 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 hold on they're replaced so as soon as you get there you have five years four or five years to live so th- they're not I, four or five years old i thought you meant four or five years old i was like yeah. how are they even like operating yeah. the machinery okay yeah. so when you get there once you get there your four or five years is your life expectancy and then you're replaceable they treated them like paper plates like what? okay i used you and now you're dead and now i'll bring in a new one that i mean obviously it's fucked up but it's just when you hear it laid out in those terms it's so horrendous it's it's one of the worst places and i don't want to downgrade slavery in other places it's all bad it's all bad you are just haiti or the west half of hispaniola was horrendous with the brutality yeah because france in general like mainland france had some slave trade shit going on but not as much as like britain and the united states yeah so People also start hating her because she's a woman pursuing a career in theater. She wrote about 30 plays, pretty much all about politics. She wrote one called The Necessity of Divorce. She um, wrote one called Forced Vows, which was about Catholic stranglehold on French society. Um, And then this big comedian, comedian at the time, Abraham Joseph Bernard, said... Olympe de Gouche is one of those women to whom one feels like giving razor blades as a present, who through their pretension lose the charming qualities of their sex. Every woman author is in a false position regardless of her talent. Wow. I don't know why I made him British. Because <laughs> he's French. Every woman. Every woman. Um... I hate it too because he's a comedian. Yeah. He should be funny. This should be funny. This should be. Let her write a play for you. I just. And I feel like that's such a big problem with like men in certain spheres of it's like. Um, no, actually, like I know that I'm in this sphere, but like women coming in provides 50 percent more competition for me. So no, thank you. So get out. So get the fuck out. But clap back. She said, <laughs> let me hear the clap back. 
I'm determined to be successful, and I'll do it in spite of my enemies. Didn't even mention him. Doesn't even care. I'm going to do whatever the fuck it takes. That's what spite should be used for. Uh So not only plays is she writing, she's also writing these pamphlets and these fake fiction memoirs that we talked about earlier about why women's rights are important. And one of the most important and most crucial things she ever wrote was the Declaration of the Rights of Women and of the Female Citizen. What? Now. This sounds amazing. It is. So after the French Revolution, the first thing that the National Assembly wrote was the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizen. And it is foundational. If you are a history major, you've read this 10 times over. It's like the Declaration of Independence, but for France. And it is a part of human rights theory. It uses the phrase natural law, which had not been used since um, Rome had written that there are natural rules that people follow. And so like a natural law is like a recycled term. And like France is like, we're going to do democracy, but like one step farther than America. We're going to say there's natural rights for everyone. Uh, however, not 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 women. In I place, know, right? Like everyone asterisk. Um, so she pretty much rewrites this, but includes women in the um, sequel. In the sequel, <laughs> work. So <laughs> right now, uh, people are thinking in France about how the laws can be changed to be fair. And she's like, what about women? What about slaves? She's like yelling in the background everywhere. <laughs> Again, who can relate? Yeah, exactly. And the National Assembly cannot agree on anything. But the one thing they agree on is that women can't vote. We're not going to let women vote. So she keeps pushing. Um, number one on the agenda of today's w- meeting. Uh, fuck women. Right. Um, does that sound good to everybody? Uh, does that l- sound good? Who votes I on the minutes? Uh, I, I. <laughs> yes, exactly. And <laughs> a lymph, get the fuck out. Go away. <laughs> Nobody who invited you, you. Who let you in? That mustache isn't fooling anyone. Does she have a vagina? Send her away. <laughs> <laughs> so she keeps pushing to drive the revolution into an area that the men are avoiding. And this kind of reminds me of like, early American suffragettes turning away Sojourner Truth and being like, we're going to do this, but we can't do it with you because that's too much baggage. I, it's one of the biggest, like, I think scars of like suffragettes. suffragettes. It's I mean, it's the biggest one. I'm not going to say one of, I'm going to say it's the biggest one that they're like, "Mm, actually, can you black women hold off a sec? Because I think we need to do it first. And it's like, what the fuck? It's like, we'll help you later. It's like, like yeah, no, well, help me we'll, now. It's it's literally like leaving a burning ship and it's like, we'll come back for you. And it's like, whoa, excuse me. There's a fire. <laughs> There's a fire. And it's At like, least give no, me no, an no, extinguisher. I promise we'll be back. And yeah. it's like, uh, okay, so you're obviously not interested in helping me. Right. It's very hard. So she has to like leave a lot of her friends. Um, and she joins the Society of Friends of Truth, and they're all about women equality. So this is where I want to talk about last week. We talked very hardcore about 
Mary Wollstonecraft and Gloria Steinem being like, they're like known as the first feminist. This is an example of an erased person that was considered a prototype feminist. She is a contemporary before Mary Wollstonecraft, like right before. And she's a prototype. Like, so there's medieval history. There's history from other cultures, other continents, other periods where like several other feminists exist and the world's riddled with feminism and we just like ignore it or don't use that word for it. Yeah. So, I mean, and we said that in the episode that like, we're obviously saying the first feminist because that's what we call these women, but it's not exactly what they are. The whole episode is kind of tongue in cheek. And that's what I hope came across. I, of, like, I think it the did. I do think it like, did. Because these are obviously like two white women who had elevated voices. Right. Because um, I think about, I mean, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself, but I think about in terms of Matilda Hidalgo, it's like, yeah, we don't consider her a first feminist. And yet she was the first woman in Ecuador to do a million things. Right. So it's like Western society. Who do you consider important and not controversial enough to make people pissed off? Exactly. Because Margaret Sanger is completely erased because of anti-choicers. Right. So, and we, you can learn more about that in our Margaret Sanger episode. We are just promo Oh my God. Promo city. I mean, we have 90 episodes before this that are <sighs> excellent. We have turned <laughs> such short stories into a two hour long episode. I, we, I, um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't. Okay. So, um, here's the thing. Especially we can't call her the first feminist because in France, there are several female societies that are pushing for change. There are females who want a, their own battalion to fight in the revolution. There are, um, you know, big moments like the storming of the Bastille only happened because women were pissed about the bread tax and they sent their husbands to like, they're like, get your step count in, like go <laughs> and like fight for your right to bread. Oh my <laughs> God. Don't forget the bit, 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 bit. It's, the, <laughs> no, it's just not on your arm. Take it with you. Please. <laughs> Pump it. So, <laughs> pump it. But that was the unofficial slogan of the French Revolution. Pump it. Pump it. <laughs> but really, um, she is one of the Girondins, which is part of the Jacobins. <laughs> and um, usually she she's considered like a constitutional monarchist. Like she was fine with the monarchy. She just also wanted rules. Okay. She's like, chill, chill, chill. Okay. Hey, have your castle, but also we should have equal rights. Have your bread and cake it too. <laughs> <laughs> but she's, um, you know, people who opposed her are the Montagnards faction. Who the, that means the mountain. They're the like hard left who like are like kill the king, kill his family, kill his kids, kill everybody who's ever breathed near him. He's a dick. We hate okay. him. Okay. So on June twentieth. Go back to the Marines one that episode. <laughs> On June 20th, Louis and Marie try to escape from Austria, but they get caught and locked up and put on trial. Now. Locked up. Won't let me locked out. Locked up. Won't let me out. And behead me. <laughs> but, um, and murder me. <laughs> this looks. What would that line be? And murder me. That would be it. They, um,. This looks really bad for the constitutional monarchists who were like, well, you know, we don't have to kill them. Yeah. Because now they're trying to escape and they look like really, really bad guys. So 
they're like, let's just punish them and take away their rights. And that's enough. And like in most of France, that's fine. But in Paris, they're very progressive. And they're like, nah, shit off with his head. Uh, 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 uh. No. They're queen of hearts. No. No. In my salon, we say no. Oui, oui. (laughs) (laughs) That's the the opposite of no. (laughs) I know, but that's the only word I knew. That was in French. (laughs) Un, deux, trois. Okay, Um, proceed. So uh, the problem is that um, her, the center left, is currently in charge of the government. The economy is struggling. The revolution is struggling, and the far left is blaming all the hiccups of the revolution on them. This is very America right now. (laughs) I feel. (laughs) I feel it. I feel it. I. Feel it. It's so real. It's very relevant. <laughs> so May 31st. And I'm upset about it. <laughs> it um, hurts me. May 31st, 1793, the far left starts a coup to overthrow the center left and seize power. So they're not only fighting with the monarchists, they're fighting amongst themselves. And a lot of uh, Alum's friends get arrested. So she returns to Paris. She had been out dealing with her son who was wounded in the revolution. Remember, he exists. She writes a pamphlet defending the Girondins, and that was brave and ballsy. But even more ballsy, Louis XVI goes on trial. She volunteers to be his defense lawyer. <laughs> what? She says... This girl's wild. <laughs> she is prepared to take the unpopular stance because she believes that everyone deserves a right to a fair trial and everyone deserves a defense lawyer. That and you know what, what equal justice is. And you know what it is, though? I was literally just listening to a thing about like John Wayne Gacy and how his lawyer was like, oh, he killed all those boys. But I have to do but it. But I have to defend because him. Because right. Well, and like something that was interesting, too, was so they were asking the question. They're saying like, OK, but like when you know your client is guilty, you're obviously not trying to like get them off for murder. So like, what do you, what is your job then? And like a lawyer responded to them. It was like, it's to not have them die at your hands. So it's basically to convince the jury to be like, no death. Yeah, he did, but no death sentence. So, and also like, why does America solve the death sentence? Yeah. And I feel like that's what she's trying to do. Olympus is like, Hey, like, Let's not behead him. Yes, he should be in jail. But does he deserve death? No, because the state should not have any sort of power to put people to death. She's so progressive. We can't even get with her today. I can't. Oh, my God. If only she had a Twitter. I know. Um, So here's a quote a man said about her during this. I know. For literal. (laughs) Presidente. A quote someone said about her. She allowed herself to act and write about more than one affair that her weak head did not understand. Because she's like, listen, I'm going to defend Louis. You don't understand. Like, you don't get it. So, of course, a mob mob attacks her house. um, And there's a whole bunch of, they say she's a royalist. And she goes out and talks them down because she's good at talking. Uh, Then, because they can't get her, they go after her son. Uh... And um, he gets kicked out of his position in the military. And he wrote a letter disowning his mother. Bitch ass. Come come on. on, I know he doesn't want to lose his head and he knows he's gonna. But like, seriously. Come on. Then she publishes a pamphlet that doesn't seem controversial. But it is what the government is going to cling to. She says in this pamphlet. 
I think everyone needs to vote in France to see what our country should do. I think the nobles, the royalists, the far left, the center left, the commoners, we can all vote and see what kind of government we should have. Maybe a monarchy, maybe a republic, maybe mixed. I don't know. And they go, fuck no, an arrestor. Because that's the whole thing. It's it was like, about male power. It's about male power. And like, because the thing is, like right now, the people with the most money have the most power. Mm-hmm. And when you switch that to, well, everybody gets one vote, then you're like, oh, well, shit. Where's my power? I have... 10 wealthy friends and there are like 10,000 peasants. Oh, where, oh, where has my power gone? I think it's (laughs) with the women, (laughs) all of us, uh, because we'll show up Um, because we keep your schedule. Everybody else. (laughs) Um, But that's the whole thing is like, they don't want to be like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, 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 no. Like, they still want their opinion to be weighed more just because they happen to have more money. Yeah. And I want to say happen to because <laughs> there are so many people who have tons of money for absolutely no reason. You are born into nobility. <laughs> Should we just sing the rest of the night? Absolutely. Great. Uh, Santa Fe. <laughs> um, of course you went there. <laughs> Hit me, baby, one more time. That's where I went. Mm. Okay. Uh, so she gets arrested on the grounds that uh, she said people should vote. <laughs> <laughs> so the king's dead, but his son, his brother, Marie Antoinette, they're all still alive, and they fear that they're going to use a pamphlet like this to re-rally around the king. So uh, there's these arrest records where she's pretty or- surprised that this is why she got arrested she's like i've said a lot of shit this is not the thing i thought i was going down i know she's like oh i'm (laughs) i'm sorry which thing are you arresting me i'm sorry really um Uh, unexpected okay (laughs) she goes okay search my house i'm not a monarchist you can't find anything so they search her house uh and they find a partially completed script for a play one and a half acts of a five act play called france preserved or the tyrant dethroned And the play is about Marie Antoinette speaking to a commoner and learning the error of her ways and recanting against the monarchy. A podcast I listened to called it a Marie Antoinette fanfic. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Real life, just somebody making something up about Marie Antoinette. However, uh, I mean, isn't that what we all have done? Yeah. Her most famous quote she never fucking said. Never said it. Poor Marie Antoinette. I pity you, my dear. So this play uh, became central to the case against her. It's a lit crit. The whole the whole trial. Um, we also found something. I mean, I guess we'll refer to it as slash fic. Where <laughs> the king and the duke do some weird things in the woods. Can yeah. you expand on that? Expand, expand. Um, I love a slash fic. So (laughs) the play, uh, is central to the case. And the problem is they gave the queen feelings and humanity like she was a person and not a criminal. So, uh, in conclusion, Olymph is a royalist. So her trial revolves around the play and she's like, Hey, this is a really thin case, but it's a kangaroo trial bingo it is she's in jail for six months she writes two like books while she's in jail or pamphlets because she's like has shit else to do and 
the trial is a show trial to crush her the enemies of the revolution and keep up the appearance of law. Okay. So the jury is all left sympathizers and uh they make a new law that says you're a criminal if your conduct, relation, words, or writing are partisan to the tyranny. So the trial devolves into arguments over what her work is and what it means. And she's denied a lawyer on the grounds that she has wits enough to do it herself, which is illegal. Uh, <laughs> and not only uh, about the revolution in this case, but it's also about uh, that she's a woman who dares to write publicly, politically. I hate that, but I also love the sentence. A woman who da- dares to write publicly, publicly but politically. politically. I made that up. Mm. <laughs> mm. Wait, you made that up? Yeah. I love that. That was not a quote. Uh, most women at the time used pseudonyms and were private about their causes, but she was just out there like, Olympe de Gouge, citizen. <laughs> <laughs> With her little N-E. I love that because she's saying, yeah, it's me, bitch. <laughs> I'm here. I'm absolutely saying this. Yeah. So buckle up. She's public and open and clapping back to everyone. <laughs> so in November 1793, she has a one-day trial, and we've already started the reign of terror, and we know that that means, you know, Madame Tussauds at the bottom of the steps catching heads, and people have blood in the cobblestones, and if you can't prove you're 100% behind the revolution, then you're 1,000% wrong. There is no coming back from this, so... Her trial lasts a day. She's convicted November 2nd, and you can read the transcript of her trial in English online. It's a unanimous jury against her, and she's killed by guillotine. Her final words are, children of the fatherland, you will avenge my death. They probably won't. Going out with a bang. Well, most of the people died from the revolution because Napoleon, you know, killed everybody. But just like you ended, I want to end with, kind of a quote this came out not necessarily in the newspaper but in a pamphlet by an unknown parisian person wrote this yesterday at seven o'clock in the evening a most extraordinary person called olympe de gouche who held the imposing title of women of letters was taken to the scaffold while all of paris was admiring her beauty they knew that she didn't even know her alphabet She approached the scaffold with the calm and serene expression on her face and forced the guillotine's fury, which had driven her to this place of torture, to admit that such courage and beauty had never been seen before. The woman had thrown herself in the revolution, body and soul. She chose to retrace her steps. She attempted to unmask the villains through the literary productions which she had printed and put up. They never forgave her, and she paid for her carelessness with her head. Motherfucker. It's a hefty quote. It is. About 370 women were executed during the revolution. She was killed because she forgot her quote-unquote natural place. One year after she published the Declaration of the Rights of Women and the Citizen, Mary Wollstonecraft published the Vindication of the Rights of Women. That's That's her story! I can't believe that it dovetails so perfectly into the person that we've been mentioning and 
finished season six on. It's unbelievable. That's amazing. She's I, incredible. The story's incredible. Like, well, and again, like you said earlier, it so perfectly, perfectly encapsulates the quotation marks around first feminists that we talked about last episode yeah. about how there are so many women who we don't fucking talk about who were the first and who don't go mentioned. I've never heard of this person before in my fucking life. And she was such a badass. And I'm so grateful to Diana to, who recommended her to us because I would have never known this. So Diana, Veronica, thank you. This was such a cool episode and I cannot wait to talk about these two women, which we will do in a little segment we like to call just the two of us. Can you believe she was Louis the Sixties defense attorney? What is happening? I I love that fact because not only was she like, this is the shit I believe in, but you know what? I'm going to put it to the test. Mm. She's like, I don't agree with what they're doing, but I agree that every person should have equal rights. And like, even though he is of the upper echelon, the most uppest echelon, he still deserves a defense attorney because he's a person. I love the idea that you're a product of your environment. And I don't think we often give rich people that excuse. And they deserve it now. They don't deserve it in rape cases. Yes. (laughs) Oh, you deserve a future. Like, yeah, there is like uh, there is a petty crime portion of it. That's like, eh. yeah, you're a product of that shit. That's what you grew up in. Like you, your parents told you to siphon money off the top. I know. It's crazy. The same way. It's like, I'm going to steal to make sure my family has food. Aladdin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I, mean, I he's feel one like, step. And I feel like that shit is so prominent too in just so many things that we see today about how poor people get treated and how wealthy people get treated. Exactly. And it's I was actually just it's thinking vice versa about I, lawyers, right? Yeah. Like the, the king had no lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I think the precedence was that they didn't need a lawyer because they had so much money. You know what I'm saying? And that's been kind of the precedence for so long. And the laws have just worked out for people that have money. I am secretly like really interested in the man that was there during the writing of the um, Ecuadorian uh, constitution that said, let's use person, let's use people. There was somebody pushing that because man, men is an easier word to use specifically in spanish where things are male and female pronouns you have gendered absolutely you have gendered words right that could denote like oh no we like that's a gendered word so that just means men that i feel which like people have been fighting that's why like you know you should say like latinx and things yeah. like that because it is a gendered language which really limits a lot of people and it, it i find that person whoever that man is that we don't know about that's an incredible man who yeah pushed that through in and, a non-gendered way, so much that a lawyer could scour the Constitution and not found, find a female pronoun. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I also feel like we have, like, this weird, not only, like, male stronghold of the everything, <laughs> but we also have a Catholic stronghold because we know that those two yeah. go hand in hand of, like, religion and patriarchy. The church and 
male dominance goes in a lot of countries hand in hand. Yeah, because you kind of use it to justify your position of mm-hmm. like, well, if it's God ordained, then you cannot argue it. I mean, Obama spent like a couple years in an Islamic country and was like torn to shreds. Yeah. And like the whole thing is like, I just I think it's so interesting that we both use those same points of view of like, yeah, they were in heavily Catholic countries in totally separate areas, separate time periods, separate time periods. And also the fact that like, I think it's important that they were so distant time period wise because we know that Catholicism did not originate in South America. It was brought over by the exact slave trade that freaking Olymp, Olymp, yeah, <laughs> was fighting against. I think I think producer might be cutting the grass <laughs> like a psycho. So, here's a really cool thing that I was thinking about. So France fucked up so bad because think about. All of Latin America down is pretty much remnants of a Spanish colony. Yeah. And from Texas up, you're pretty much a British colony. And like France owned a lot of that shit during the revolution. And then they turned their focus to fighting amongst themselves. They fucked up. Yeah, they absolutely did. Sorry, France. You could have owned me. Yeah. <laughs> you you bailed out on this queen and I don't know what you're thinking. Mistake. Um, <laughs> well, and I think it's cool too that they both showed activism through um different ways. So I feel like Olymph did activism through art. She's like, Yeah, you know what? I might not be the most educated person on the face of the planet, but you know what? I got something to say. And I think that what I got to say is pretty fucking good. So I'm going to write a play about it. I'm going to write this little op-ed. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And it's more of like activism through art. And I feel like uh, Matilde, she was like, I'm going to just live my fucking life and like be an activist through the way that I change things from the inside out. I also like that Matilda was like, I'm a citizen so I can vote. The word citizen was very crucial. It absolutely was because she was just pointing out, and I feel like they both did this, pointing out the hypocrisies in their own system. But the thing was, there was some truth behind um, Matilda's activism where she was like, she's pointing out the mistakes they made that are on paper. Mm-hmm. And Olymph is pointing out the mistakes they made just as human beings. Right. She's like, you really should not be doing that. That's a mistake. And they're like, mm, too bad. It's on paper. And with Matilda, she's like, yeah, you technically didn't do your sexism 100%. You didn't do your sexism homework. If it gives so... us any <laughs> consolence at all, everybody's heads rolled in France. So like, yeah. everybody who was in charge for a month then got killed. So yeah. at least Olymph was not the only one who was murdered. No, she wasn't. And I also like, and it makes me think of how I feel like they both succeeded in spite of their enemies. Mm. And there was not much people could do about Matilde. But with Olymp, I mean, they they fucking beheaded her. And it's it's that that makes it impossible to see what she has done. Like Matilde got to see what she had done for the country. And it's like even after her, there are these incredible things that are set up in her honor. And I think we mentioned it earlier. Western society is not as comfortable with change. 
Um, is specifically the Northwestern hemisphere Mm -hmm. is not comfortable with change. And therefore we lose people like a lymph who was a first in a lot of cases. Yeah. Whereas Matilda, we, we have forever with these, like their organizations set up in her name because of what she did for the world. Absolutely. And I think that that gets back to that point you made about like publicly, but politically Mm -hmm. neither of them were trying to hide and i think that that was a really important part of their activism where they were like yeah i am doing this and i want you to fucking see i want you to see that i'm a doctor i want you to see this play no i'm putting my political feelings on display because you know that it's fucking wrong and i'm just pointing it out that's beautiful are you ready to toast these women i'm ready to toast i think tonight is a really important night because i think the first thing you should know is that this evening in this cocktail we finished the ruth bader ginsburg cognac (laughs) what a testament from what a testament one finale (laughs) it's gone it only took us seven seasons to get through one bottle of cognac we're here uh, I think we've gotten through a lot more gin. And blue curacao. <laughs> we've used so much blue curacao. Okay. Are you ready to toast? I'm ready to toast. Okay. I want to toast to people who are not willing to accept something that's almost right. Mm. She said, look, I think the revolution's right, but not like this. I think people should be free, but what about slaves? I think there shouldn't be a king, but he also deserves common decency. And I'm just in awe of people who aren't willing to settle. So (laughs) don't settle, and I love you. Good job. What do you got? I'm going to toast women who know their fucking rights. Because no, you're Right. <laughs> she, Matilda, didn't become the first woman to do a bunch of shit because she was the loudest, although that is often necessary. She became the first woman to do shit because she studied the law, she knew her rights, and she stood the fuck up for herself. So cheers to her. Hell yeah. Know your rights. All right. Ready to promo? I'm ready to promo. What do you have for us this week? I'm going to promo. Patricia Richardson, who's the mom on Home Improvement. <laughs> so, um, not the show, just her. Just her. I'm dead serious. Just her. Yeah. So, uh, I did several years ago. Producer and I watched the E True Hollywood story on that show, and um, really, I would love to see that, Katie. Because Home Improvement was like such a big show. You when can't we were watch it anymore after you see the E True Hollywood story. Damn. Because her and Tim Allen are fighting the whole time over her paycheck. So she's really fucking cool. So I just watched some home improvement with our kids and we're explaining Wilson and the kids and JTT and he's Simba and Tim Allen is Buzz Lightyear. Like we're doing the whole thing with the kids. There's a lot of shit going on. And then I'm like, okay, so she, this is the E True Hollywood story. You can watch it. But she started the show as like a housewife and then she fights and she's like, no, when the kids get older, I want you to send my character to college. And then when the kids get older, like I want to be like a psychologist or, you know, I want to be like um, in counseling and then I want to constantly talk about counseling and I want to do this and I want to do that. And um, 
her and Tim Allen ended up like hating each other because then she's like, no, I deserve as much money as you. I have as many lines as you. So it's like the end of the show. They're like kissing, but they're in full out legal battles against one another. Oh, my God. And it is incredible. And I think she's incredible. And this is the life of 90s sitcoms. And it's great. And Trisha, I think in the show, it says (laughs) it says Trisha, but like Patricia Richardson. Get on it, girl. You were like, I'm the woman in this show and I'm going to represent women on TV the way they should be represented. That's so fucking cool. And also like just the whole thing of like, yeah, it's my character at this point. You wrote her, but I brought her to life. So I should have some fucking say because I am like a real woman living in the 90s in the world. And why is Wilson the only person who can convince my husband of anything? And we can't even see his face. He's probably getting only listen to Wilson. (gasps) But anyway, it's Al Borland. I mean, for the win for Mm. president. But the point is, I think Patricia Richardson is a treasure of 90s sitcoms. And we all need to give her a little bit more. And that's it. (laughs) I didn't know. We have to do a whole episode on her now. She's incredible. I would love to do that. Okay. Okay. Recommended this season. <laughs> I am going to recommend something that I purchased recently, and now I don't know how I ever lived without. It is a salad spinner. <laughs> They're great, aren't they? Have you? Do you have one? I, yes. <laughs> do you currently have one? Oh, it's broken. In the I room. will buy you one. <laughs> it's broken, Katie. Allie. It will be my housewarming present to you. Because did you know that if you drop them? <laughs> I bought this salad spinner off Amazon and all the reviews were like, um, I dropped my salad spinner and it broke. One out of five stars would not recommend. And it's like, (laughs) well, yeah, you fucking dropped your salad spinner on the floor. It's not like, (laughs) I mean, come on. It's not like a plush toy. It's a salad spinner. Joanne is the first time I saw a salad spinner and I was like, where have I been? I cannot look because I also I'm a dirty, dirty person and I didn't realize for so long that I was supposed to wash my fruits and vegetables. So then once I was like, God damn it, romaine is full of some real weird shit. I have to wash it. E. coli. But then my romaine was really dirty and I was like, I mean, wet. I mean, it was dirty and then it was wet. So then I thought, I think I need to get myself (laughs) dirty and wet. The Katie Greenwood salad spinner story. Um, With Patricia Richardson reading the line. (laughs) She's the narrator. The narrator. Um, And by story, I mean saga. Because I just didn't know what I was missing. It's okay. Um, I got the salad spinner. We're that petite bourgeoisie. You have no idea how much my life has changed because of it. My girl. I have dry, clean salad. And it's perfect. So. Get yourself a salad spinner. <laughs> Get yourself a salad spinner and then watch them improve it. The tagline is, they're not that expensive. They are, they're not cheap. They're not like $10, but they're worth it. And don't drop it on the floor. My God. Um, <laughs> because then one star. <laughs> All right. I think that's it. That's it. So thank you. Thank you, Veronica. Thank you, Diana. We appreciate you for listening and for recommending. Um, 
So if anyone else has recommendations, just send them over to us. We're really trying to fit a lot in this. Se- I mean, it's going to be all requests, but every episode we're like packing them in. We're packing them in. So if you have anyone that you want us to do, it's not too late to recommend. We've got like maybe season. what, like three to five episodes at the end that we yes. can cram some in. Yes. Um. So which please- three to five episodes means six to ten people. Yeah. So send us your people. Um. So, yeah, so look forward to the rest of the requests. We're going to be shouting people out and giving you nicknames, and it's going to be great. Um, rate and review us on Apple Podcast if we did your person. Also, just in, if you like us. Um, I mean, we're really cute. We're so cute. Um, so thank you again for listening. We love you, and we want you to never, ever forget that well-behaved women cross-reference their day planners. They do. And I should because I double book all the time. I never do. Um, and they really make history. Goodbye. Bye bye. You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.